Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I am your host, Coach Jonathan Lee, <laughs> with my co-host, <laughs> Chad Zimmerman. Hi, everybody. And uh, our CEO, Nate Pearson. So I'm not a host. Hi. <laughs> We're all hosts. I'm the color man. <laughs> <laughs> the color man. Uh, all hosts um, here. We're going to answer more of your cycling-related questions, and you can submit them at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We comb through them, put them into this feed, and answer as many as we can. Uh, but some house cleaning items beforehand. First of all, uh, Nate, your collarbone, which I keep forgetting you broke your collarbone because you're not even in a sling. You know, you're... Yeah. And you, you, and this is perhaps to your credit, like you don't complain about it. You don't, you know, so I, I completely forgot. <laughs> no, actually, uh, I completely forgot. It's, I was thinking like, I, you know, last year I had, uh, uh, tonsillectomy and sinus surgery. Sinus surgery didn't even feel the tonsillectomy was the worst thing I've ever gone through. That's a 10. This is a two. Wow. So if someone like fears breaking your collarbone and you're complaining, well, everyone's different, but the pain right. is just, it's not that bad. Especially when you get it. Um, I think it's the surgery. Yep. Yeah. Those, it's the surgery that makes it not that bad. Cause I'm right now reaching above my oh, wow. head. Yeah. yeah. Moving around. I'm just not supposed to pick up anything, um, heavier than a pound. So they, they put a metal plate in there and it's like this, I have x-rays. It, it looks kind of weird. They have whole places for screws in the plate mm-hmm. and they put in nine screws. Um, the guy said there was five pieces inside of me and he said it was the most, one of the most difficult he'd had in quite some time. Wow. That's his quote. But, um, yeah, I did a great job and, uh, I don't know if I'll set off metal detectors. I hope not. I wonder. Yeah. Uh, they Maybe probably not. use titanium, right? No, he said think? stainless steel. Stainless steel. So it would set one. And it never comes out. He said the, um, unless it really bothers me, hmm. I don't pick stuff up because it really doesn't hurt to pick stuff up. I like, I picked up my mountain bike the other day and I had to switch hands, mm-hmm. but they said, if you stress it too much, it could stress, 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 and then one day something could break it mm-hmm. before the bone is healed. Mm. So then I would have to go in and get surgery again. That makes that sense. That would not be fun. And that that plate that they put in almost covers, which I've never seen that before on a collarbone, but in this case it almost covers like from one end of your collarbone to the next, like the whole thing. It's crazy. So you know, a whole bunch more bones than I'm Wolverine. It now makes <laughs> sense why you have such a giant cut, you know, incision. Yeah, it's not just bone. a small one. Yeah, because yeah. you had to screw in at the very end. <clears throat> Yeah, crazy stuff. Um, um, and then, yeah, so keep the other going. part of it is I had like a maybe starting five days ago, so a week after the surgery and ten days after the crash, I started getting a crazy headache. Where if I move my head at all, I'd get this like pulsating headache from the base of my neck all the way over my head. Mm. And then I went to like this seminar thing, and I I saw our banker there, and I I was like, hey as I'm doing to everyone, as you guys know, look at my scar. Yeah, yeah. And then we, we, someone spoke and then I, uh, he, I came back and sh- saw him again. I go, Hey man, look at my scar. And he goes, <laughs> you already showed me that. And it took me two hours to remember where I showed him that. Then I lost yeah. my keys like I'll, twice yeah. for like an hour. Yeah. Like right after you guys found the keys, someone found them in the yeah. bathroom. Yeah. I lost them again right after that. So I said, I better go see the doctor. I saw a um, sports doctor and she said, I have a concussion. And, um, interesting things about that, like my eyes, when you, you do that, you know, that drunk test where you put your finger up and you track the, mm-hmm. the eyes, mm-hmm. my eyes are actually tracking like that. Like a drunk person, they kind of mm-hmm. like twitch. Mm-hmm. Um, she said it could affect my mood. So Jonathan and I got in, you know, a little yesterday I was like, <laughs> dude, I'm, it's my mood. It's, that's what I'm blaming on my head injury. It's, but it's, it, I, I can, I can vouch. F- I've had a lot of concussions from motocross and I can vouch for that. And it's. 
not like something where you're like, oh no, here comes the effects of the concussion. It's very much just, just feels like normal. Yeah. You feel normal, but mm-hmm. life is very different. Yeah. You, know? it's, you have to be able to like take that step back and be like, Hey, that's not the way it should be. So right now when I wake up in the morning, there's no pain, but as soon as I start moving my neck around, it hurts. And I, you know, I don't take pain medicine. I don't have to take pain medicine while I sleep. So I try not to, I t- just took a pill. So about mm. 40 minutes in this podcast. <laughs> Things are yeah. really <laughs> colorful. But still, my memory isn't very, yeah. <laughs> my memory's not very good. Another thing that she said is that she didn't really know how long it was going to last. She said, though, in three months when I'm okay to ride outside, I should it should be gone by then. Mm-hmm. Um, she said there's a, it's like, I think I want to call it second impact syndrome. That's probably not the technical term. But she said, I really want to make sure that I don't do anything to hurt my head. Like you guys were saying, doing balance skills. She said her words were a 50% death rate, but I think she meant 50% increased death rate. Right. So uh, that sounds more reasonable. With people having head injuries post-concussion within this time frame. But in the future, she said there was no risk of, there's no increase of death if my brain heals and I hit my head again. Right. So I'm just back to square one like everybody else, which is good. And a couple of things along the lines of your crash. Uh, one thing, actually, we we had a, a listener send in a bunch of different, uh, just th- their, number one, their sympathies for the accident, but also they were sharing just some more stories that they've had. I've seen a lot of broken collarbones. <laughs> 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 I, I, I Thanks, everyone, by the way. Everyone said, like, nice things on Instagram. So yeah. thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, one thing that they, um, they said was um, uh, about carbon fiber bikes and getting that checked out, Mm -hmm. uh, getting your helmet checked out, like your equipment, uh, thoroughly. So what are you doing with your bike, Nate, Mm -hmm. that you crashed in? I am giving it to our test team. So as, (laughs) uh, as I've talked about, I had a brand new bike coming, a specialized Esbrooks Venge and I have the old Venge and I was trying to get it for the Chico race, but it didn't come in at time. And I was like, ah, didn't come in on time. (laughs) Darn it. But I'm glad now. So we have to, we have test bikes here at trainer road. Mm -hmm. And because I don't know the structural integrity of this bike, that's why I'm going to have it like it has power power meter on it, and then we'll just put other devices. And our test team, well, they'll put the saddle down and ride. It'll be a mule. Yeah, exactly to to test all the software for Trainer Road. Yeah, hmm. uh, and something just of note for this. So I, I cracked a frame a while back, and I looked up here locally uh, in Reno. There was a company called uh, Aberis, and they do carbon fiber repair training for the military, for Ferrari too, which is pretty cool. Um, BMW's F1 team, they trained all of the techs on how to repair carbon fiber. So these guys know their stuff. And I talked to him uh, about the frame and, and how to find out if the frame is broken. Cause there's a few things like they say, well, if you push on it and it actually, you know, there's indentation when you push on it, like it gives, obvious. that's obvious. It's a break. You should not ride the frame. They say that if it's just a crack, but it doesn't push in, you hear a lot of people say, no, it's fine to ride then. But I talked to the guys from Aberis and they said, no, anytime you have an impact to a frame like that, yeah, I can't imagine. it's just not worth risking. Certainly wouldn't inspire confidence. No. Can I tell a horror story? And, and well, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, Somebody sent me a story, and um, I, I, a guy he crashed three months later. He had a hairline fracture in his handlebars, but it was under his tape. Yeah, I never Lo- saw it at Loda Jaw, the the long race in Utah to Wyoming. Yeah, he hit a pothole on a bridge. His handlebars broke. His hand went into the spokes. He went off the bridge and died. Left a family behind and everything. Pretty yep. sad stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's just the thing. Like, uh, you know, I see a lot of people, they say that, you know, the pro riders 
ride aluminum bars because the carbon ones could break. That's probably not the reason why a pro rider is doing it. If you look at like a lot of service course bikes, like the pro team ones, they just have an amalgamation of parts a lot of the time because they have so many bikes they are constantly running through. But for us average Joes, when you're talking about on a road bike, those type of frame or those type of bars on a mountain bike, you can kind of see everything and tell when you hit and everything else. Not even bar tape. It's a little where scary. Your, where your hands are. The but grips. yeah. Yeah. And it, it'd be so rare if a bar broke at the end right there on a mountain bike, you know, but it could totally happen. So it's something to consider. Like it's, it's, um, the guy would take Avaris, it apart. Like take your handlebars yeah. off, get the, get the, yeah. Get the, uh, Check it tape, out. the bar tape off. Yeah. Yeah. And in okay. most mountain bike grips have lock on grips. So that's really easy to pull off. You just use an Allen key, slide them right off. Right. Bit of work, but well worth the effort. <laughs> yeah. Um, the guys at Aberus said that they, so they're talking about planes when they hit things or anything else like the fighter jets that are made out of carbon. And they said that they have an x-ray machine that they pass over. Oh, nice. That's the um, only true way, right? That's the yeah. only true way to tell. Calpy does carbon repair. I know that. Do they yeah. do x-rays as well? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that they're maybe one of the only ones that do that. Um, and really submitting your frame to Calfi or a, a very reputable repairman or, or, or repair person, I should say, is the way to do it. Uh, don't just go by some guy that says like, Hey man, I, I can buy carbon fiber and I can wrap it around the frame. Really? Like there's like, I've seen, we have, yeah, I've seen people like that. We're just a dude who ran the internet and bought yeah. the tools. Yeah. yeah. It's your life. Thanks. This might be too a reason why, well, it is a reason I know that some people might buy a an inexpensive crit bike that's all mm-hmm. aluminum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I can crash it a few times and it's not going to have that catastrophic, just, just it's, it's structurally sound and then gone. Yeah. And that's the exact, that's the point with carbon, right? It could be just such a small impact, but it, since it is fibrous, it could just hit at the right point and propagate a crack all the way down your frame. Whereas aluminum, it's really not the most durable material, right? Aluminum that, can bend easily. But so if you have crash replacement warranties, I mean, mm-hmm. with the bigger companies, and there's nothing visibly wrong with your bike, will they still I honor that? I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, because um, I, that's another thing, a point I wanted to say is you might take it into a bike shop and be, hey, check this out. Yeah. But mm-hmm. how many bike shops do you know where the dude behind the counter is 19, trained a week ago? Yeah. It's like, yeah. sure, I'll check your <laughs> and bike out. And even then, he can't x-ray it. He can't see yep. what's... I've just seen, trust I've heard people yeah, use like um, an Allen key and they'll tap the, the yeah. frame. They'll listen for dead part spots. But I don't recommend that because it's like... Well, do that. But yeah, I mean, getting a new bike every time you crash too. But yeah. it's like, but do that to your non, do that to your non-broken frame with an Allen key, and you'll hear differences in tone Pitch all the way through yeah, because sure. these frames are so dynamic. It it's laid dead. up in different mm-hmm. ways and different spots. You know, one millimeter to the next, it's going to be different. Different tube width. But it, when it's yeah. broken, it sounds dead. It's just like yeah, and they can even sound like that though. If you have like three K weave down toward the bottom bracket, mm-hmm. it'll mm-hmm. sound more dead than like a unidirectional one right in the center. You know, this it's is kind of an excuse <laughs> to tell your significant other you need a new bike there we are every time the train road podcast guy said you cannot know send him a link to that handlebar thing yeah be like i need a new bike and i need a crit bike (laughs) i'll get a regs bike and a training bike a couple mountain bikes a couple other house cleaning items um one thing really quick uh because of the collarbone um we decided to reschedule the rafa event for september because that's honestly this is how crazy our schedules are it's almost the next time that we actually have available with all three of us on a weekend but also we think that's going to be a good time because uh it's always nice riding toward the end in the fall there we're going to have some cool stuff to talk about with trainer road at that point it'll be cool so we're rescheduling the rafa event in san francisco the ride day for september September. So stay tuned for that. Um, Nate, uh, you also had somebody as a result of your crash, reach out to you. Give me a bike. Yeah. To offer yeah. To the give cruise bike. bike guys and Bob Pancritz. I think Pancritz, that's how you say it. Yeah, yeah. I believe so. Yeah. They asked to, um, 
he, they have interesting stories, but long story short is they sell a recumbent bike and it makes it so that people that, you know, people have neck injuries or something, you can't ride a regular bike. This mm-hmm. is a great other option. And then you also um, heard stories of people with like, if you hurt your hand, people mm-hmm. with hand surgery where you just can't hold the bars yeah. for many months, you can get on a recumbent bike. It actually fits on a trainer, which is cool. Pretty so they cool. offered to send me that. But I've been actually riding the bike with two hands. The doctor said is if, if I'm pushing- On the trainer. Yep, yeah. on the trainer is, is fine. He said I could even in like two weeks ride outside. Nice. He said don't, it's kind of like, he said don't turn hard. He said no mountain biking. <laughs> don't buddy hop. The other doctor said no like head crashes, so I'm just waiting. Yeah. Like what I really want to do is go outside. I don't have any desire to go outside and road ride. I want a mountain bike. Yeah. But that's the thing I have to wait until June for. We don't, for my we bone have, to get really strong because yeah. you will be pulling right. and pushing and all that kind of thing. All of our trails are destroyed from all the flooding this year anyway, so you're not missing but much. But it's beautiful weather. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, and then the last bit, um, just a, a, a side note here, a friend of the podcast, Cycling Maven, down in Australia, if you haven't checked out his YouTube channel, you can see that there, but he's he's doing the Indy Pack. Have you guys heard about this race? I have not. The Indian to Pacific uh, Ocean. It goes across Australia. It's all self-supported. Like sounds you, dangerous. Yeah. You can't even like grab a banana from a person on the side of the road. Like it's very much strict. Like you have to take your own food the whole way or they're like, you bring a credit card, you have to buy food along the way. Is there stuff camp. in the middle of Australia? And that's, so it follows the Southern coast, Okay, but it's still really remote. Like there are sections where it's like 200 kilometers without anything. And then you get to the next town and who knows if they'll be open, you know, cause what if it's like after hour anyways, it's a pretty crazy thing, but he and a bunch of other people and a number of trainer road users I've actually seen too are prepping for this, just seen it on social. So if you're doing good that luck. race, good luck. <laughs> 3,000 miles, I think. Just absolutely, yeah, incredible. So pretty cool stuff. That's some good base right there. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was no going to say those are some single guys right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's go into, before we get into the questions, a lot of people uh, we saw were submitting questions about how to either cut a training plan back one to three weeks usually was the time frame that we saw or fill in one to three weeks, whether it was your a race has changed or something has just shifted around in your schedule. Something's happened. Uh, you're looking for a way to shorten your training plan or extend it a bit to fill out until, until your a race, Chad, what principles do you have to guide on that? Um, there's a lot of options when you're trying to pad uh, a training plan. So typically I save most of these modifications for base and build if you have the option. It's a lot easier to pack in extra time or whittle down time. Um, maybe not as much as whittle down. I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, as far as adding extra weeks, it's, it's really as simple as just deciding, you know, what, what uh, week did I struggle with or what week was uh, more in line with my weaknesses and just repeat that week. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be any, any trickier than that. Um, just make sure that you're butting it up against a recovery week such that you're not doing like a five-week loading block when you're used to three-week blocks, et cetera. But uh, you, you have a lot of liberty in terms of padding everything as long as you, you're uh, on top of your recovery. And then when it comes to reducing the but plans... I have, a, I have a question on that. Shoot. So to, to put that into context, it's usually on our plans, it's three weeks, mm-hmm. one week, three weeks, one week yeah. for, for like build. So you would say do like four weeks, one week, and then another four weeks, one week, if you want to add two weeks. That's one way to do it. So don't it. do five weeks, I don't, rest, I don't think so. Then I was, three weeks, I was talking to even Brandon. I mean, he's a very high-level athlete, and he and the people he trains with, and he can't think of anybody who's done and, and benefited from a five-week loading block. Brandon's a uh, pro-triathlete, pro yep. 404 half Ironman. Yeah. 
Yeah, and now fast he's insanely guy. fast runner. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like mostly the run, right? We're trying to get him yep. super fast on the bike now. Yeah, he works here at Trainer Road. That, that's a good point. Uh, instead of just getting to the point where you work all the way through your plan, you have three weeks left. Um, try to be strategic about it beforehand, and mm-hmm. right before those those easy weeks, that's when you would fit in that week that's really working on your specific limiter. That would probably be the best way to do it. So on the other side, then what if you, your a race moved and you have to cut out one to three weeks of your training, like the a race moved up closer to you. Yeah. So again, it depends on how much time you have and, 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 you know, where you feel like you can sacrifice that time. You know, if it's early enough, taking out a couple of weeks, a couple weeks of base training, isn't going to have a very big impact, especially mm-hmm. if you got 12 weeks lined up. Um, you can also pull a couple of weeks out of a, a build phase, not, not too, too badly, or it's not going to derail the, where would you pull training. those out? Um, Let's in say the I case have sweet of spot one and two, mm-hmm. and I want to take out two weeks. And I, let's say I have sweet spot one, two, and build, and this is sure. two weeks. Yeah, the sweet spots are easy gets because they're six week plans. So I would just whittle it down to a four week plan. So I'd probably just pull out maybe weeks four and five. So make it a one, two, three, then recover, then go into sweet spot base two. And if you're in sweet one, spot two, base three. two, just pull out again weeks four and five and recover with that fourth week. Gotcha. I have another theory. If you're, so I think a lot of people, I, and the majority of people, life doesn't line up. Mm-hmm. Mm. So wait until there's that like time oh, you get oh, yeah. sick. Absolutely. Mm. And just say, just count you know on what? It's, it's going to get I'm, occupied. I'm going to get sick. Yeah. Something's going to happen. My kids are going to get sick. Work's going to run late. Yeah. And then when you're most stressed out and feeling the worst, then remove that week. Right. Sure. Yeah, totally. that's a, that's a really good that's a really good way to do it. You can Absolutely. kind of plan to have things in place, but always have that contingency that life is going to throw you a curveball, mm-hmm. and that might be a good it's way. Better mentally too. Yeah, kind of use a mulligan, mm-hmm. so to speak. You, you know? might feel too. I mean, how many times have you guys felt it? Not at this job, but <laughs> you know, I'm overly <laughs> stressed. I'm tired. Right. I'm you know, I've got this really big week of training. Mm-hmm. I don't have any time to do it. What if you had two of those weeks that you knew, like mentally, mm-hmm. you're gonna? Well, I guess that wouldn't take out the time though. That was. I'm I'm doing that wrong. That would actually add a week. Well, no, if you if you just that would look actually at it, take out well, that's a whole week. extra time. Yeah, yeah, that just well, if you if you know that you need to cut it down by a couple weeks and you have planned out, I'm going to cut but that would out add a week. But I'm going to plan- right. If we're talking about the earlier earlier yeah. scenario where you have to pat it a bit, yeah, so yeah. I'm, this is all the concussion speaking. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's <laughs> try to keep up. If you have to add a week, this would that would be good. Yes. Right, that's another way. But let's break this down too. I think that actually we you could kind of use that on the opposite end because let's say that you are sick one week and you do need to change things out. Ooh, yep. uh, you kind of have like your contingency in there place. Like this is my plan, but heck this week I need to cut something out and it's okay. I'll just kind of shift things around. So it falls on that sick. Well, week, you could you know? too say, if you feel, if you're feeling bad, you could jump right to recovery. Mm-hmm. That's where you skip. Good that's point. what I was thinking. That's what my brain was saying. <laughs> you could skip the, like the third just week. Just bump ahead to your recovery week. Yep. And then, and then We're basically right the easier. ship and get back. Yep. Feel a little bit up. better. Yeah. Yeah, or not really. It, and it's always a bit of a manual process. But the one thing that, as always, you know, use your best judgment with this. But the one thing I would uh, counsel you on, at least, so and like you said, Chad, it really depends on where you're at in relation to the plan. But as you get closer to your event, if uh, aside from because there are certain physical benefits to following your plan to a T, especially as you get close to that event, but also for me, for me mentally speaking, I really like to follow things to the T. So then when I get to race day, I don't feel like there's a single I that hasn't been dotted or a T that hasn't been crossed. And I really, I thrive on that. You know, that, that helps me comparatively speaking. I usually look around at everybody else. And even if it's not true, I just tell myself they probably missed their workouts. They missed their workouts, but I did not. So that, that's one thing that I would say is, um, um, if you are looking at where to cut things, anything else, 
instead of looking at it as a disadvantage, just try to plan ahead and try to execute as best you can and take confidence in you doing the best you did. You know, did and you, then and then when you're like right on top of your event, so you're in your specialty phase and you need to chop a couple of weeks off. Um, basically, you just roll through it and get to the point that you can get to, uh, and then you advance your taper. So if you want or need a full two week taper, you know, then obviously you do the first couple weeks, and then boom, you're in your taper. Um, if you just need a one week taper, then you can choose which of those two taper weeks has a better level of stress uh, based on the amount of fatigue you're bringing into it. How would I know if I need a one week taper or a two week taper? Typically, the longer, just the longer events, like f- for something like a full distance uh, triathlon, half distance triathlon, even. Um, not necessarily a century, but basically longer multi-hour events, mm-hmm. uh, a, a higher duration taper is usually in line. Mm-hmm. And then, and that goes for, you can tie it to volume of training too. So mid and definitely high volume trainers probably need a slower or a longer, more drawn out reduction in mm-hmm. order to, to, that's what I was going to say, because even if you're doing like, a uh, a one mile, or if, like a one mile race, like a running race, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you might still have a two week taper if you're running 80, oh, 90 yeah. miles a week, right? Yeah, exactly. Which for those who aren't runners, that's a, a whole bunch. Yeah, so <laughs> it's probably a probably a better bet to tie it to training load, overall training load. So if you have a high training load, it's typically gonna result in a longer taper. Yeah. And everybody, and everybody also with time, I'm sure there are a lot of athletes that are saying, I do best of the short taper. And that's something that you can and discover. And some very high volume athletes do. Yep. They, they find themselves flat if they take too long of a taper. So as always, there's a level of Matt subjectivity Russell, to it. He said a long taper does him bad. Yep. My wife can't do a long taper because it just freaks her out mentally. Psychologically, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And she won't eat. And she'll, you know, she, yep. she did a 19 mile trail run this weekend and she did an hour train road workout the, the day before an hour the day after. Wow. And she, the, yeah. So crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, and there's another thing. There's a whole training experience. If you've been doing this for years, mm -hmm. your body can handle, probably can can handle a shorter taper. You don't need that same level of recovery to absorb all the stress you've been inflicting. If you're doing it for years too, you might be old. Yeah, and you might go the other way. Again, it all depends. <laughs> so it's this is really one of those. Like, it's never a clear cut. It's not like straight. you need a fourteen day taper nope. with right. this amount of stress every day. It's it's a uh, those are built into the plans, and I think you can't go too wrong following them. But again, mm-hmm. listen to your body. Yeah, I want to talk about another thing. Is Jonathan? You've been talking about the uh, mental aspect. Yeah, and I just started reading Matt Fitzgerald's book. How bad do you want it? It's good. Mm-hmm. Do you guys both read that? Yeah, read it, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Oh my gosh! If you're racing against me, we'll see. <laughs> Northern California area, 35 and above, don't read it. Don't read it. Just, <laughs> read it's it. a terrible book. Throw it away. Yeah. But the thought is, <laughs> and it's so true, and I've been in these experiences, is that your brain's the real limiter mm. in these races. Like you have your physical abilities. He describes that as like a wall of how hard you can go and then your, how far you can go. And then your brain is how much you can press against that. Mm-hmm. And I've been in races where I try to press really hard against it. And other times where I don't press... Like I'm, I just give up mentally. Have you guys been in races where yeah. you give up mentally? Oh, sure. Gosh, yeah. yeah, yeah. When I was pretty young with motocross, I was having a problem with an issue that a lot of motocross riders would know about called arm pump. And basically it's just, it's absolutely excruciating and your arms fill up with so much blood, your forearms that you aren't able to grip your handlebars anymore. And it's just like a, a horrendous cramp. And because that lifting weights. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Like if you ever take a broom handle and you had some weight on it or anything like that, and you just tried to turn it over and 
your hands over and over, that feeling you get of like that, that tension, feeling like your arms are loading You're doing up. that for an entire race. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it's brutal. And a lot of riders are affected with it and they can't seem to shake it. They even do surgery to cut the fascia that oh. surrounds the muscle. So then because they say, oh, well, that'll let, let it breathe easier. It's a terrible tactic. It usually doesn't work for people. But that was something that I was really f- struggling with and it was frustrating for me. And I went and saw a sports psychologist and I was 12 years old, 13 years old, right when I was really getting into like motocross. Your parents <clears throat> wanted you to be awesome. <laughs> There's a sports psychologist at 12. This is, this is going to oh, make pressure. me really weird, but I, know. I, I actually sought this out and he was a family friend. So it wasn't like we were, you know, my parents were taking me <laughs> around. Imagine 12 I need a sports psychologist. <laughs> but he was, he was fantastic in helping me, just coaching me mentally on, because I, I developed a, a genuine fear. Anytime I felt any type of tension in my, in my muscles. And we do this with cycling. Anytime you start out and you start out in that race and you go, Oh, I don't think I feel very good today. Then all the memories of all the bad rides start flooding mm-hmm. in again. It can get, it becomes poisonous. And so we worked on like a lot of mental triggers, tying into physical actions to kind of change my mindset and change it around. And I was able to really manage it effectively with a lot of mental techniques, whether it was imaging or whether it was coaching or response That's, management. Can we, can we do a, um, I forget what the word is, the uh, tangent. <laughs> yeah, tangent. Yeah. About, <laughs> it's all the concussion. Um, about mental aspects, oh, because huge. I think that's, I'm thinking now, reading this book, so I think we have the training side right. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about the recovery side and like sleep, and I obviously haven't mastered that. But then the other side, the other part of the triangle is mental. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think if you can do all of those right. And probably actually it's a square nutrition. Cause yeah. We'll yep. Add another leg technical ability. There's outright psychology. And then there's like the, uh, uh, what is it? The neural, not, not neural psychology, but the, the, the neurophysiology aspect uh, of yeah. it. So how your brain will allow your muscles or allow your body to do things. So it's more of a subconscious sort of aspect to it. And that's a lot of what Matt talks back, talks about in that book and his other brain training for runners, I think. Yeah. Same idea. So there's this, the, the overt psychology that is like what Jonathan's talking about. You're talking about the, the neurophysiology aspect of it. So it's, it's not even a square. It's like a five-sided thing. Yeah. So, okay. There's like 12 of them, okay? Yeah, there's a lot of legs. <laughs> but the one thing that I think, and after I heard it in the book, I'm like, yes, this is exactly how it is. If you go into a workout or a race expecting it to hurt really bad, yep. you do better. And mm-hmm. if you go in, like Jonathan just mentioned, fearful... Like this mm-hmm. happens all the time in workouts. It's not to be trained on workouts, any workouts. If I fear a workout yep. and I feel like I'm not like there mentally, mm-hmm. it doesn't do as well. But if I say this is going to hurt, but I'm going to go so deep it's a matter and nail of, this one. It's a matter of resisting it or embracing it. And and those two things can have a very different influence on the workout or the performance, you know, race, the whatever. interesting thing, in Matt, sorry, in Matt's yeah. book, he says that there's research to say that if you brace yourself ahead of time mm-hmm. and that you say, this is going to be a hard workout and I'm going to go really hard, the actual RPE, how bad it hurts is less. Is less. Isn't that interesting? It's crazy. Yeah. And and one thing about that too, that I think is a lot of it is managing expectations because how many times um, do you find yourself in a race? And I'm thinking like time trials or, uh, you know, I guess anything, but time trials and mountain bike racing, it's so, it tends to be really individual. A lot of the time you're just by yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you find yourself surprised that things aren't going according to plan, it hurts too or much too early. Yes. And that's, so if you can manage those expectations beforehand and, you know, a lot of people do that with, with actually visualizing the effort beforehand and managing it that way. 
But I think a lot of it is also in the training side of things. Most people listening to this podcast are training pretty regularly. When you're training physically, you should be training yourself mentally as well. Yeah. And you should be looking for opportunities to start to build that habit, like you said, Nate, to and really they're... embrace that and get ready to go deep and be okay with that and recognize once you're in the workout. When they and have those, those opportunities moments. present themselves all the time. I mean, when, yeah. you're, when you're setting up for a workout, your, your mindset is a big deal. I used to toe the line with a guy, a buddy I raced with for years, Jason Walker, who we'd line up, we'd look across at each other, say, you know, just small talk. And often before we hit the start of the race, he would look at me and say, this is going to hurt. He was mentally bracing himself for it. He was okay with the fact that I'm going to beat the hell out of myself right now. And, he's an and then awesome he goes athlete. on to win, what, two, three national championships. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he can do anything. And also, he's and, and a lot of that is because he knows he can do it. He believes he can do it. And he's willing to suffer. Something to that with specifically Jason, and I'm sure all of us know an athlete like this, he could show up to a criterium, show up to a race, and he would have nothing in the bank, relatively speaking, compared to somebody else. Yeah. And you know what he would do is he would perform he would outperform himself. He was very, and he's, but he's also, he's extremely capable in a lot of different sports. And I think it's because he he's brings that same mindset, period. you know, and a lot of that Goes is hand the, in hand. Yep. A lot of it is the mindset and how he approaches things. We, it's, it's we've key. done the, um, VO2 max and stuff. There's where you can go physically. And then there's how far you can push against that mentally. Yes. And uh, some, you do need both. I mean, some people just do have horrible, horrible genetics, yeah. but you, I think if you have horrible genetics and you can push against it, you can still do great in all local yes. races. Like that's, that's why I'm always hesitant to use the term limits. I mean, we think we mm. have, we understand our limits and have a grasp on them, but we, we just don't. You might not be world champion yeah. with a VO2 max of 55, mm-hmm. but Only you can probably here. win local the fact races. Is you can do more than you think you can. Yep. And hurt people. Another thing that, going back to the point that Jonathan says is, in a race and in a workout, how many times have you guys gone into the first interval and said, and I'm saying you guys, like people on the podcast, and you go, this hurts more than it should. Yeah. Like at this wattage, and then your brain can go two different spots. It can go, uh, with, which I have, I'm guilty of this. I probably didn't eat enough. I'm not rested. This is maybe I should turn this workout down. Uh, I'm just going to backpedal on the next ones. That's when you start to become resistive. That's when you're yep. resisting what's mm-hmm. to come. Or you say, you know what? This first interval, they always hurt the most. Mm-hmm. These other ones are going to be easier. This is Jonathan's mentality. If I push through these, because someone else's first interval hurts just as bad, and if I go to the restroom, I'm going to be national champion. Yeah, yeah. And, and every day is not exactly going to feel right. great. Mm-hmm. This is just one of those days, but I'm going to get through it. I'm going to try another interval and see how that one goes. And then mm-hmm. you, you know, just, just kind of... But as I go through these and it hurts more, this is actually extra training. I'm getting extra more training yes. on the mental side today. <laughs> so it's going to hurt less more. I'm going to hurt other people more. Yep, exactly right. Yeah. Like, right? Like, I think that's how you've, you, if you listen back to the podcast, you say that kind of stuff all the time. All the time. And now it's like a light's gone on in my brain. Yeah. Is that I am not as mentally tough as you for working out like that. Right. Um, and I think that that's something too, like with, um, I, I mentioned a lot of the time that I do, and that the name of the book, How Bad Do You Want It? It's a great name. It's a great name because, and that's genuinely. That sums it up. I, I, when I look around when I'm in, in a start or in a race or anything else, I personally feel that I want it being whatever, you know, the win. I want it more than anybody else. Well, it's not always this simple, but you can stand there and look around and see who's already out of the game or already out of the race. Yep. And I'm also selective about that too, because 
you know, when I line up at a, at a local road race or anything else like that, or some mountain bike races that aren't my A race, that aren't my, you know, a B race of, of important consequence or anything else like that. I won't tell myself that I want that win, but I will tell myself that I am going to go deeper than I have gone, or I'm going to accomplish whatever my purpose is absolutely to my fullest capacity. I'm not going to let myself, you know, drop below that. So it's, it's, it's not about always winning because remember you have to prioritize your races and that's a great way to beat yourself up mentally, but it is always about gaining whatever you aim to gain. And mm-hmm. you have to just, you can never let yourself sit at 99% because it's not about physical capacity. It's about up here and you can change that. He was pointing to his head. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I should say that I can't see that in podcast land. Uh, the, the other part, like they talk about, um, you know, things that can lower RPE. So if it lowers your RPE, how, your perceived effort is you can push harder against your physical. Mm-hmm. So there's like caffeine and beetroot juice, those all lower RP. Another thing I was thinking of is there's so many studies we've talked about about compression gear and socks mm-hmm. where it'll give like people a 2% boost, but other studies it won't give anyone a boost. Mm-hmm. We've never seen it where it takes it away. Mm. But I, w- I was just thinking like, it's probably hard to like make that a blind study where someone knows that they're not wearing something compression. Right. You, can't, you can't. Yeah, exactly. So it could be that those studies... And the, all the triathletes that wear them, when they put that on, they think exactly. this is going to be entirely psychological. These sure. are my race socks, yep. and they make me go faster. Yeah. I, I wore compression socks as a mountain biker at national championships, which like no mountain bikers wear compression no, socks sure ever, right? Mocked heartily. I'm sure I did, but I did not care because in my mind, and I honestly told myself, this is probably going to give me a fraction of a percent of physical improvement, but you know what? It's me checking another mental box that I've done everything I can, and that makes me have a clearer conscience on the line. Yep. And so it's, uh, I do plenty of things that just help me mentally. I'm sure. Oh, I want to write so bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into Daniel's question. He says, I love your podcast. I'm not going to say that finding a new episode on my downloads is the highlight of my week, but it is certainly would make my top 10. In that case, Daniel, you're just in our top 10 my of question is, submitters. That's, that's my goal basically <laughs> anymore is to crack the top 10. <laughs> Lasagna night is number nine. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> uh, all, all jokes aside, he says, please help me uh, this weekend. And this is surpassed, so I, we apologize for this. We've gotten so many questions, by the way. I, I, we apologize for it, but um, I think we can learn from this. He says, I have a climbing six-mile time trial and rolling 48-mile road race. I've just purchased Flow Cycling 60-millimeter wheels and need help choosing tires, 25-millimeter or 28-millimeter. 25. Yep. Uh, that's what Flow <laughs> recommends, Continental. GP 4000 S2. Yep. And those are made so that the rest aerodynamics with that, and those are also very low rolling resistance. So those combined, you're going to be the fastest. Boom, end of story. It's always a safe bet tire. Yep. Uh, Next question, how to best fuel, rest, and recover for a same-day stage race, and it's a time trial in the morning, then a road race in the afternoon? Tart cherry juice, next question. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. That's a bummer. That's a tough order. Yeah, Um, it is, huh? Basically, you don't want anything that's going to metabolize slowly. I mean, it depends on what the gap is. I'm guessing it's probably not going to be a big one, a couple, three hours maybe. So you don't want to load up on high-protein diet, certainly not a lot of fat. You want Mm. stuff that metabolizes quickly. So maybe slower-burning carbohydrate, um, and then maybe 30 minutes prior, something that's a little more quicker quicker burning. And right after, this this would be a a great situation to either um, design it yourself or buy a a recovery drink. Because mm-hmm. you, you same day, like you want to get glycogen as fast as you can back in your muscles. Yes. Got to reload. I yeah. would do, um, depending on how much time there is, I would do a recovery drink, maybe 250 calories. And then I would do a meal after that if it's later on, like mm-hmm. many yeah, hours. Depending on the duration a, of that window. A higher carbohydrate meal. 
and it might have a, mm-hmm. a even like a regardless of the gap is going to be a pretty i mean relatively most of your calories are going to come from carbohydrate and then i would uh if i could lay down with my legs up what i've done in, yeah. in cross races is i'll like walk around the whole time and talk Yeesh. to people right <laughs> and then your legs are just led. yeah it's just because it's fun though like yeah. you know what i mean so it's, yeah. that's in those races i how bad do i want it I like to just, it's well, a little social it, yeah. for me and too. Case, he's going to have great, a road Great race. example of that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> he's going to have a road race after the time trial, which is very probably a multi-hour sort of thing. So. I assume so. You know, one thing that I, so let's break this down in terms of the actual physical recovery you could do. Let's say it's ideal if you have lodging, like uh, if it's right next to a hotel or a house that you're staying at or anything else, just prioritize downtime doing absolutely nothing. Remember the, if you're standing, sit, if you're sitting, lay down type yeah. of a thing. And, and heavy on the hydration. I mean, mm-hmm. especially if it's a hot, hot race, cause that even a short time trial can be pretty depleting. Mm-hmm. I, I made this mistake at Chico is there was the race. And instead of looking to see where the race start and stop was for like the crit and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. I just said, Oh, what's the cheapest hotel in Chico? Mm. And then, but then I would have to like get in my car and drive. And other guys were like, "Oh yeah, we're a block from the start." Yep. It's nice. Yep, of the time trial in the. Uh, I can't tell you how nice it is yeah. to be able to ride your bike to the race course. Yes, yep. and then also if you have two in a row, just ride it back and you're yep. at your hotel. Yes. Yeah, so that would be ideal. Let's say you don't have that and you just have your car. Uh, one thing that you can do with a car is if you have anything that you can fold down in the back, like seats or anything else and lay down in the back, that can help just lawn chairs. try to keep your legs up. Yeah. And that's the other thing I was going to say is a camping chair or a lawn chair. If you get a camping chair, bring the footstool so you can keep, keep your feet up. That's any stage help. racer who doesn't have a good portable chair is blowing it. You should <laughs> always have a chair handy. Just in yeah. life. It's nice. <laughs> I mean, that's like one of those buy it for life. Get a good camping chair. You, you buy it once and it lasts you 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And this seems, this seems self-explanatory and simple, but fine shade. Uh, that's, and it's, you see a lot yeah. of people though, in between those races, if it's a hot day and you can get back in a car and crank the AC Ooh, for a while, makes it, yeah, again, a huge difference. The hot, the higher your body temperature is going into that next event, the worse off you're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's what we'd recommend for that. Um, yeah, another thing that he asks, he says, uh, he's, he calls us the greatest podcasters of all podcasters. He's trying hard Definitely here. No, wait, he that. also said he's 27 years old, male, blue yes. eyes. Thanks for the eye color. <laughs> yes. He says, um, the standard that everyone is measured by now, listen to my other podcasts and think they are not as good as the TR coaches. Thanks man. Oh, that's shucks. very kind. Laying it on a bit thick. Yeah, real cool. thick. Yeah. He like says it. with 11 weeks before my primary peak event, should I prioritize build or specialty? I followed a base build specialty flow, but my state champ road race has moved up kind of like what we were talking about exactly four weeks, about. creating ca- chaos Daniel. So which, yeah, that's a bummer, especially when they do it close to the event. Um, in this case, I would just keep progressing through your build. Uh, specialization is always about, uh, it's about a couple things, um, bringing peak fitness to the table, which means the workouts are going to be really challenging based on the fact that you have high capabilities at that time. And they're also about refinement. So we're getting really specific with the sort of events or the sort of efforts you're going to have to dole out over the course of your events. So, you know, if you're not as refined come race day, but you've built a higher level of general fitness, that's going to serve you better. You can't jump forward to that highly refined fitness and expect to perform well just because you're really good at one minute efforts when they're not built on longer efforts. Hmm. So he's taking four weeks out of specialty here. Uh, that's, that's the way I go. Yep. And this is kind of before, if he would have known this at the very beginning, you would have he could have maybe taken out of base and build. Yeah, maybe taken a couple weeks out of base, a couple weeks out of build. Spread because we're out. getting closer. 
he's, you, he's pinched. Yep. Yep. And that, that fitness that you're going to be building, the, the build phase is always pretty strenuous or really focusing on raising FTP, raising your ability to output yeah, power. Honestly, that general fitness goes a lot farther, especially in the case of, you know, road races. So what if though, you have to cut. he did cross and he only took like two weeks off between seasons mm-hmm. and he, you know, he, you know what I mean? Like he's, he already went through base build specialty fairly recently. Yeah, that would change things. And how would that change things? So, well, with 11 weeks, um, in that case, he's probably already got a high level of fitness. So I would shift emphasis toward refining it and, and hit the entire, the entirety of the specialty phase. And if he were like brand new to, let's say, structured power training, or in our case, indoor power training, then you would use the, the first ex- advice, right? Where we're going to just- Probably, yeah. yeah. And coming gonna, out of something like cross, then just do the entire build and then maybe taper for the remaining three weeks or yeah. two, one or two of the remaining three weeks. So I'd recommend two, yeah. Um, it's tough. It is. It's there's tricky, all these man. little like, oh, you oh, did and this. There's always and multiple ways to go about it's it. So, it's real life. And it's not like one way is going to really destroy you. Like we're splitting hairs here, right? Yes, Yep. Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to be well off regardless of which Avenue you take that we just suggested there. Uh, David, he says, hi guys, just wondered what your thoughts are on a youth racing cyclist, 12 years old using your programs and which ones you would recommend and how they may possibly have to be adjusted to take age into account. Many thanks and keep up the great work, David. So, um, first off, David, I have not coached a lot of junior athletes, but I've definitely done my fair share of reading and seen other, other coaches who work with juniors and, uh, to, primarily I would prioritize fitness lowest. So to make it more about enjoyment, more about generality, um, and more about skills than, than anything else that the fitness will come with time. Um, the, the last thing I'd want to do is put a kid indoors three, four times a week and bury him with, you know, 60 minute interval workouts. So, so what time you do spend indoors, I wouldn't even go for the 60 minute workouts, like on the low volume plans three times a week, I'd look for 30 minute, maybe 45 minute alternatives to those. And this is, I think, going back, this is all about mental aspect, Mm -hmm. right? Because I've read a lot about this too. And younger kids, and you see this all the time, they get burnt out because parents force them into doing something very hard mentally. Yes. And sometimes even when they're um, high school or college, they have this rebellion and and even like drug use and that kind of thing when there's there's too much pressure, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. they can't handle it, right? And they need a release. And then as soon as they have, they they don't have this like... um, parental person telling them exactly what to do all the time, yep. they they go crazy. Not every kid, but yeah. it does. I mean, yeah. you probably, everyone here probably knows someone, yeah. right, growing up whose totally. parents were super strict and had them do exactly like hard mental things. And maybe it's music or school or something. Yeah. And then they get to right. college and they're doing acid every day. And you see young <laughs> kids who race super well and they, you know, they become extremely focused on that. And then they Disappear. hit, you know, 16, 17, 18 years of age, never race a bike again. Yeah. I think Bampa, um, who's probably the father of sports periodization he is, mm-hmm. he talks about younger kids doing more group sports. Yes. And then as you get older, then you specialize in maybe individual, but don't start like, so Jonathan, like his junior races, they do a lot of fun technical stuff. So they still race yep. mountain bikes, but it's it's more like skills and drills. and Yeah, and something I learned from that on, is listen to the kids, but don't listen to the kids. And what I mean by that is I asked all the kids for the high school team that I coached last year, okay, do you guys just want to ride? Or do you want to train or do you want to do a mix? And they're like, we just want to train. We want to get fast. We want to train. And we went for it and we did it. And we had to adjust because it just, they were not, they, they, their eyes are bigger than their stomach, so to speak. You know, they really thought they wanted that. But once they got into it, they're like, man, no, like I I really just want to ride. And with kids, uh, that is so important. And you know what the cool thing is, like you said, Nate, with games, with different things like that, they're going to be getting faster. Oh, yeah. 
like we do, um, one thing that we do with kids is we'll do like a relay race and they get to pick whether it's like a gel or a CO2 or whatever it is. That's like their, their baton that they pass on their team. And we have like, let's just say you have like a three mile loop for cross country racing. You'll have them stationed like every half mile or so. And you have like legs that they have to do. And then you have a relay race and it's a ton of fun. You do other skill games like balance games. You can set up ladders and skinnies on like low yeah, stuff. I don't, I don't know that I would ever be so over with the conditioning i'd find ways yeah. to weave it into more fun tasks i might do it too like how jonathan did where you, you did some ftp tests but it was mm-hmm. like this is a big event we're all going to come in here together do yep. an ftp test but it's not like how some adults can handle it where they're going to do like scientific optimized training four or five days a week because right. they have a family and kids and um yeah they don't when they play the games they're more like i just want to get fast it, it changes when you get older but it i does. was not at 12 Oh my gosh, like I could not do any of this stuff. Like, right. No way. I complain like walking in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> it's this so, is too far. <laughs> it's so different, man. So yeah, that's that said, if he does want to train and he wants to spend on the trainer um, and, and have some fun with you, absolutely. Uh, just... Um, just try to use your wisdom and, and impart that wisdom with hopefully as much understanding on their part that there's plenty of time to get fast when you're young like that. And you can spend a lot of time doing fun things too. So... Grant, he says, hi guys, top job on the podcast, five stars. I've been using trainer road since October and have seen my FTP increase from 279 to 317. Ooh, that's nice. Well done. Looking forward to translating that to outdoors as the weather improves. I have two questions, both surrounding a 200 kilometer gravel event in April. Number one, my ambition is to finish in under 10 hours. What percentage of my FTP should I look to hit or should I be looking to hit as normalized power for such a long event? I've never had to pace such a long event before. Yeah, something as long as that isn't. It's not obviously it's not going to be high, but um, looking at point six to point seven, I think that's that's that about the range. Yeah, point seven would be pretty high. That's the high. I was going to say six five, yeah. six six five. It, mm-hmm. it all depends, and that's so. Any, we, we give such a big range because that's going to be how much you train for that. Like your body is able to handle right. that long stuff, and going back to it, your mental ability yeah. because yes. ten hours is hard. Yeah, that that's honestly when I look at that you're going to ride at kind of what your mind is going to allow you to ride mm-hmm. at with that long of an effort, you know, it's going to be a in. highly aerobic effort level. So, and right. we're talking like low, low, low on that spectrum as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be painful. Um, <clears throat> but sorry not to discourage you, Grant. I'm sure it'll be good. No, too. Gotta, no it's just going to be a long day. You gotta, Grant, <laughs> it's going to be painful. Yes, there we <laughs> are. Dig into it. <laughs> Epic. Number two, although I train with a smart trainer, I don't currently have a power meter on my gravel bike. Assuming that I can afford to buy one before the event, do you have any tips on alternative ways of pacing myself? Could I, and he says in quotes, make do with heart rate? And if so, what BPM should I be targeting? Any other tips? Thanks in advance. Mm, yeah, I so wouldn't use, wouldn't use heart rate. And especially over a long event like this, it's going to creep totally. upward as the day goes on, which could be telling you the wrong thing all and the while. One so, thing on that really quick, sorry to interrupt, Chad, but that what that really is going to do, like we're talking about this mental side of things, Mm-hmm. When your heart rate creeps up like that, you're going to start asking what is wrong instead I, of I've had so many races because of taper and then like caffeine intake and excitement. My heart rate is not what it ever is in training. So that's why <laughs> yeah. at Israman, yeah. I took my heart rate strap off because it was just going to mess, mess with my brain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as that heart rate creeps up to like, like we're talking about, it can give you the wrong idea just because your heart's working harder. Doesn't mean your body can't, you know, further that, uh, uh, that pace or maintain that pace. Um, I, I'd probably shift it more towards just paying attention to my breathing, obviously how you're feeling as well, but it's hard to say over a 10 hour event, I mean, you're going to go through all sorts of ups and downs, 
But in terms of, of uh, pacing based on breath, I mean, this is going to be highly aerobic and it's going to be at the low end of things. So you could just make sure that you're basically breathing through your nose the whole time. I and mean, if at any point you're huffing and puffing, that's going to have to be a short burst of that level of effort. For the most part, you're going to have to be breathing comfortably the whole time. I mean, we're talking a 10 hour event here. Mm. What were those um, ventilation levels called again when we did our V2max test? It's ventilatory, ventilatory threshold one and two. Yeah, yeah. so ventilatory threshold one, that was when where my aerobic ceiling was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when you started to like go. And that's kind of, you <sighs> yeah. go from breathing through your nose to now I need to breathe through my mouth sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The breathing through the nose thing, I've always hated because I have never wow. been able to breathe through my nose like <laughs> sure. at all. And you don't all, have so. to take it literally. The, yeah. the point is, is, is you're breathing inside at such a low rate that, you know, if your exactly, sinuses yeah. aren't congested, you could breathe through your nose. So I would mm-hmm. say at least halfway through the race, he shouldn't be hitting that first threshold mm-hmm. and then agreed or close to it. And then maybe at the second half, start to be in that one, but try yeah. to never get into the second one where it's like, you're breathing almost as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be a climb. Super brief and yeah. very infrequent. Yeah. yeah, This is, in effect, a, a, a long time trial, man. Uh, you're just going to kind of ride yeah, your own race. And a really negative splitting on this is, like you kind of said. Imperative. Yep. Really. You, basically, you have to start out conservatively. Last thing you want to do is overshoot <laughs> the first five hours of a 10-hour oh, Yeah. This is, these things, too, I'm guessing there's not going to be 4,000 people in this race. Right. It's hard to find someone at the correct pace that you can draft mm. off of. Because mm. um, that challenge. would be nice, but I've, I know from experience, these gravel things, there can be potholes. And yeah. just make sure yeah. that someone's like, you know, no, not seriously, swerving at the last minute, especially after this, 10 hours of... Mm. Like brain looking at the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Be clear on how hard you want to work. And if you wind up with a group who's moving a little too quickly, that will cost you. So just yeah. be okay with riding by yourself for long periods of time, maybe the entire event. If you can find a person that's done that race before and who knows that they can go the distance, but they might be riding slightly slower than you in the beginning, it might be worth investing some time in that relationship. Like be okay with going a little slower in the beginning, because if this person knows the course has been there before, it's going to have confidence that in their strategy to pace, right. And you can work off of having it in a situation like this, having someone who's going to rein you in is a total boon. Yeah, really does help. Um, Cool. Let's move on to the next question from Nathan. Um, We've covered sprints somewhat recently, but this one we're going to go into a little bit more detail. He says- It's a little more specific. Yeah. He says, hi guys, this is my first season with Trainer Road and I'm really liking it. This podcast is super useful. I'm using virtual power on a trainer, on a traditional trainer, and I am currently working through the second block of Sweet Spot Basement Volume. Can you do a brief- and he says in quotes, explain like I'm five explanation of the relationship between cadence power and shifting during a 10 second form sprint. I was shifting to a really easy gear and spinning at about 150 RPM while keeping my power close to target, but I didn't feel stable at such a high cadence, which 150 is high. He says, I have also tried staying in a harder gear and spinning at, uh, spinning at 120 to 130 RPM, but my power shoots way above the target. I want to make sure I'm doing this right. Do I ignore the power target during the 10 second form sprint? Um, then he says also a quick note for Nate. Coincidentally, my name is Nate and I too am six, six. What size and model bikes do you ride? Nate, let's cover your bikes and we'll go into the rest. Okay. The extra, 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 extra large of whatever brand there is. <laughs> you're, I'm, you're I'm always the tallest store. brand. And then I always have to be careful because I'm really close to the, um, seat post max height. So I always look up the max height mm-hmm. and know if that, if that will, if like I can even ride it. Mm-hmm. But I use specialized for specializing Yeti. 
you're writing uh, XL or 2XL Venge? What'd yeah, you 2XL. get? 2XL. 2XL Venge, and then you have a 2XL Crux? Yep. And then you have an XL, because that's the largest size frame they make, Yeti 4.5, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that one probably fits me the best, not everything. Which is surprising, because it's, yeah. it's just an XL. But I guess you can get a more roomy cockpit on a mountain bike with that. Um, so back to things, the form sprints. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking, we're talking about specific form sprints and just these 10-second bursts that you'll have in these Yeah, what is a form sprint first? Because if you're not part of Trainer Road, you don't... Yeah. Right. Explain so that. Form sprint is basically just a small dose of speed, learning to control um, high, high levels of overspeed. So something you're never probably going to employ. You're trying to teach your muscles to spin far quicker than you're ever going to use, such that when you do come down to, you know, in his case, he's practicing 150 RPM, but then he drops to 120, 130 RPM maybe in a sprint. Mm-hmm. He'll be do it. He'll be able to do it exceptionally well. It's neuromuscular training. Exactly. We're trying to. And one quick thing on that, we're talking about speed of the legs. We're not talking about speed. Yeah, of and that's how something I want to make riding. very clear. So with form sprints, they're all about RPM. I don't care about watts. So you're absolutely right. Disregard power for ten seconds at a time. Don't worry about power. Use a gear that you can turn over really quickly with control, though. So you talk about when you hit 150 RPM, you start to feel unstable then maybe dial it down 145, 140 RPM, something that for over the course of those 10 seconds, you can get up to really quickly, hold it there and stay there without bobbling around in the saddle. But watts don't really figure in. In fact, they don't figure into form sprint each sprints. You just want to choose a gear that puts enough uh, resistance on the wheel that you can control that really fast spin without, without losing it upwards of, you know, just 150, 160, 170 RPM. That was one thing I was going to say right there is I think a lot of people, and, and let's get into the technique right after I say this behind these, but that is in the, the, the body technique, what you're doing with your body. But one thing that can really help if you feel like you are really unstable and you're spinning at 110 or 120 RPM and you feel unstable is more resistance can help stabilize you. Yeah, a little bit. These aren't about mm-hmm. power though. So, so don't right. ever, that's what I was going to ask. So mm-hmm. if, during these, if my power sheet's a little bit high or a little bit low, mm-hmm. should I not even care? No, nah, no. Nah. Don't even care. Small variances, who cares? And then on a kicker or something, crucial. if when these start, because you locked, when you're locked in, yeah. when you start doing the cadence, you're automatically going to get this little spike of power every single time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's going to come away too. So the, the electronic trainers, smart trainers in erg mode are, are a whole not different smart. story. Yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> this is the time yeah. where they're not in this smart. Case, they are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, but in, it's a it's a different scenario. So you're not shifting at all. So basically, you just have to establish that cadence, which you know take a second or two, and then settle into it. And then when the sprint ends, you probably have to freewheel for a second, let yep. the let the motor or the resistance kind of catch, and then you can get back into it. Yeah. So don't be afraid. I mean, some people like they want to do their workout so perfect that you know, don't I worry mean, about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One thing that you mentioned a lot in the workout text uh, when you're following a workout on Trainer Road, Chad, um, is to anchor your sit bones. Yeah, with, with speed especially, you have to have a very stable basis. I mean, you have to be on your saddle. Both sit bones feel in the saddle. You can't be bobbling side to side at that rate. It's going to be ugly in, yeah, in a lot you, of ways. If you don't know what sit your sit bones are, if you were to sit on something hard, like a hard surface right now, and then you were to lean forward slightly, it would be the bony protrusions that are pushing into that, that, that surface. Um, it's uncomfortable, um, when you're just sitting on a hard table or anything like that, but on the saddle that those are your, those are a really important contact point. 
you shouldn't be rolled back. You shouldn't be rolled forward on the soft tissue. You shouldn't uh, be doing it's, that. It's why saddles have wings. I mean, that, yeah, that's to accommodate your, your sit bones. One other thing that I really find helpful that you've included in the workout text too, is to relax my legs. A lot yeah. of the time we tend to carry a bunch of tension in our legs. And then what happens is when you're spinning really quickly, it's hard for our bodies to operate that quickly with yeah. that much tension. So it tends to elevate us and move exactly. us Exactly. So commonly when riders go fast, it's just a ton of tension, you know, right from the start, they grab the bars hard, their jaw tenses up. Um, everything just kind of carries more, far more tension than is necessary. And, you know, if you can anchor your, anchor yourself on the saddle so that you're not moving around, then it's really about letting everything go below the waist. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I try to think of pedaling with my knees sometimes, but in any case, I want my calves to be slack. I want my ankles to be slack. I want my feet to be loose. And then basically I just spin my knees as quickly as I can. And something can be said for rela- relaxing the upper body too. Um, you know, like, like you're talking about not getting too tense up there. If, if you notice yourself getting more tense while you're trying to do a form sprint, you're probably compensating for a lack of control down in your legs. Uh, and we're, and we're so. not looking to break records with these form sprints either. We're looking to establish good form. So you may think I want to spin at 150 RPM. Well, if you can't control 150 RPM, then all you're doing is fostering bad habits. So just spin as quickly as you can control. What if I miss the workout text telling me to do this or I don't feel like doing it today? It's okay if I skip these once in a while. Am I? Oh, absolutely. These, yeah. all, this all is form icing. work is optional. Yeah. yeah, icing. Yeah, I mean anything that detracts from the quality of the workout is is optional. I mean we're basically looking to to maintain power targets ninety five percent of the time. That's that's the focus. Obviously, we don't want to do it poorly, and if we can cultivate a little better form and make you a little more efficient as a rider, you know, that's a win for everybody. Awesome. Not that's, for me if you're racing me. <laughs> Not everybody. <laughs> it's a win for everybody except for the ones you're beating. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this question comes from Bob. He says, given the time of the year and the large number of cyclists in the process of transitioning from base to build, it'd be great to hear your informed thoughts on a couple of topics that I think are on the minds of a lot of people. Bob, I think pitched this one. He, he pretty much gave us a T ball, uh, <laughs> spot <laughs> here. He teed it up for us. Well, he says coping with the gut punch that comes from a sudden jump in FTP and associated increase in workout difficulty combined with a plan change. Do you A, got it out, B, scale it down, C, cut it short? He says, this seems to be a problem only during that first week while adapting to the new norm. Yeah, that's the bummer of improvement, right? So everything, the whole playing field elevates. Um, And this is, I guess, one of the upsides to the fact that the TSS assessor, I'm sorry, the TSS for the assessment is usually a little lower than what would have been scheduled otherwise. So that kind of trims the week a little bit and, and helps out with that slightly. But the fact is, you just got stronger. Now you kind of have to accept that there's a new level of not necessarily suffering. It's still relative, but you have greater capabilities and you have to increase the challenges along with those increasing capabilities. It's so just the nature of it. A, let it out. Basically, that's what I'm saying. Mentally tough. Um, it's going to hurt. It's, it's just all tying together, guys. Scaling yes. it down flies in the face of what we're after. I mean, we're trying to progress the challenge. And if you scale it back down, you're basically just repeating what you did in the prior phase. And then cutting it short, um, that's if you're just falling apart, that would be the the alternative. You know, maybe a eight minute interval becomes a seven minute or a two minute VO2 max interval becomes a minute 45 sort of thing. But the yep. fact is the intensity has to be there. And one thing that I would add to this too, 
and when we're talking about the mental conditioning that goes along with your training, as you are progressing and you haven't updated your FTP, let's say, you know, and you're progressing along (laughs) and then, you know, you, you aren't doing as much mental conditioning. If you're like, these workouts are easy, it's great. But, and then suddenly you're keep in mind, you tested, you can't over test, right? Theoretically, you can, can. I mean, if you really go like sprinting hard at the end, if you have a high anaerobic work capacity and if you like sandbag the, the clearing Still effort. pretty difficult to, to yeah. really even then over an eight minute or a 20 minute effort it's pretty hard to emphasize that that really anaerobic is. capacity to the point where it uh, knocks things out of whack yeah so you know your physical abilities are there and I think a lot of the time when people jump up there uh, it suddenly feels much more physically hard because you're utilizing more of your capacity there with you know it's uh, the things are elevated like you said the playing field's been elevated yeah. but that's a great opportunity for you to just get mentally strong that's the way to look at it yep. you know um, so I'm going to I hesitate to say this because it gives people an out mentally but Chad let's say you have a 10 minute threshold efforts or something like that. It's in build and it's right after you did a test mm-hmm. or um, 15 minute sweet spot or say, if I did a 15 second, 30 second back pedal in the middle of that interval, yeah. wouldn't that be better than scaling it down or cutting it short? That's my go-to fix for any of these situations. Just a brief intermediate recovery doesn't change anything in terms of the physiological stress we're after. It just makes it a little easier on you physiologically to some extent, sure. But psychologically, it just gets you back in the game. It's huge, right? You're not going from... I mean, if, if you look at some of my workouts, I, I try to gut that out and you see my performance start here and then it drops here and then it drops here. And I basically just go downhill over the course of the workout. That does nothing for me psychologically. It's arguable that it does anything for me physiologically. But if I would have just taken a second backpedal for 15, 20 seconds, maybe even a couple of times over those longer intervals, I can totally salvage the quality of each of those. What about, I do this sometimes, if it's long intervals with a lot of rest, let's say, um, three by 15, like Eclipse or something, and it's a five minutes of rest. Sometimes I'll have like, I'll do a six or seven minute of rest just to try to still last through the whole 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. That would yeah. be perfectly yeah. fine too, right? Pausing the so that you, during you the basically rest just extend your recovery valley. Yeah. That's another recommendation I'm fond of. And that's yeah. not it though, if you're doing something like, obviously 30 on, 30 off, you don't really uh, wanna do it there, but if you if it's a five, eight minute recovery, it now being a six, nine minute recovery. If a little extra recovery, especially in base, a little less so, but still very much so in build. If, if extending that recovery makes the quality of the following interval a little higher, mm. that's a win. But in, <laughs> but in like something like cyclocross specialty or- Once you get into the crit, specialty it's, plans, it's, the recovery those, is those recovery very specific. Are very, very specific to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's when it starts to, if you start to affect those, you are detracting from the intended outcome. Yeah, it's, yeah that's part, yeah. Yep. Got exactly. It. Thanks, Chad. You're welcome, mate. That's a good question. (laughs) He says, uh, this next point is one that I see uh, commonly brought up, and and I think it's a good opportunity for us to clarify things. And Bob's on the right page Mm -hmm. here with this. He says, in many of the plans, the TSS coming out of base is higher than the TSS designed into the build plans initially. Can you discuss how the focus of the training is shifting from TSS focused on aerobic base building to TSS focused on muscular strength and endurance building? Fitness from the CTL standpoint will be level in many cases, making some people, and he says some people, uh, he says looking at you blog commenters and triathletes, I think it's everybody that just is persnickety about that stuff. He says it can make those people twitchy. Please explain how the shift in focus changes the type of stress 
DSS being accumulated and how that plays into performance from your perspectives on periodization or energy systems. Yeah, so TSS is useful within the confines of a particular phase of training. So we can watch TSS ramp from week to week over the base phase. We can watch it ramp week to week over the build phase. That's all good and fine. But when we change phases, we change types of stress. So when you're coming out of sweet spot base, all you've done is sweet spot and your body can handle a lot of TSS when it's heaped on it in the form of sweet spot training, muscle endurance training. Then when we jump into stuff like VO2 max repeats and microbursts and all this higher intensity stuff, TSS may not equate exactly. It may actually go down substantially in some cases, but the overall strain on your body is going up, up, up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and ideally, the, the training adaptation that comes with it is going up, up, up. So don't get so hung up on TSS that you lose the, the forest for the trees, right? Or, yeah. or vice versa. I always get that backwards. But in any case you'll see um, these, these, these decrements in TSS and you got to look at a, a wider uh, picture. The other thing, two, two points on that. One, you're at the end of your base phase and let's say you're doing 500 TSS in a week. Well, you probably have already, you've actually gotten a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Like you, your FTP doesn't, your body doesn't know your FTP every day, right? Or the right. trainer doesn't know it. Yeah. And then the next week you do a test and everything now is 20 watts harder, but for one, the first week, the test, as Chad just said in the last question, um, is a little bit TS, a little bit lower TSS. So that week's going to be a little bit lower. Plus, um, you're now doing everything 20 watts higher. And if we then increase really it good point. to 550 TSS with a 20 watt jump, and had to like backload the stress off after that test, it's going. It's, you're not going to survive. Right. Right. So you always kind of, <laughs> yeah. as you do these FTP tests, you there's a slight step back, then you go up. The other one is. Imagine if we just did it's called a ramp rate, a four a four point four percent ramp rate from from day one to every yeah, every week through. forever. Yeah, you can't. You would yeah. By specialty you'd be at like twelve hundred TSS. <laughs> as nice as that graph would look in our minds, especially yeah. us that are very particular about that, we have to understand that our bodies don't build that way. You know, yep, exactly. <laughs> so this is kind of the you get a little harder and you it is a, maybe the first week have a little bit less TSS, but it's so much harder and you're doing a whole new kinds of energy systems. Different. Um, is that yeah. your point kind of wrapped up yeah. in another way? Yeah, but, yeah, that's another way to look at it. Not all TSS And a couple good points equal. to throw in there as well. Yeah, we have a blog post actually. So it's called, I think, Not All TSS is Created Equal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can read more about this. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Blog.trainer.com. Yes. And with that, uh, that covers it for this week. We will talk to you all next week or maybe we might release this next one a little bit earlier for you guys. Give you a two for one in the week. We'll see. Goody. <laughs> um, you can submit your questions, trainerroad.com slash podcast. You can uh, send them in whatever cycling triathlon related questions you have. We'll come through them, see if we can answer them next week. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you then. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.